Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of the Liberty Update. Thank you guys for joining us. This is where we bring you your need-to-know news in 15 minutes or less. I'm Jake. I'm joined today by my co-host, Bree. Just wanted to remind you guys that all of the stories we cover here on the podcast and many more can be found in more detail on conventionofstates.com slash blog. Go to our blog today to catch up on all news related to COS and other cultural issues. On today's show, we're discussing the State Department's Intersex Awareness Day. We'll also look at the brand new Speaker of the House who supports Convention of States, a George Soros-led hit piece against Convention of States, and a bipartisan effort with 42 state attorney generals to investigate Facebook for addictive content. All of that right here on the Liberty Update. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to the Convention of States podcast so you don't miss any of our shows. Let's dive right in. Well, in case you missed it, the State Department celebrated Intersex Awareness Day on Thursday, clearly putting its time and funding to good use. As many other global and domestic conflicts dominate current conversations, the State Department's messaging could initially appear out of place. But upon further inspection, it's clear that the executive agency is doing what must be done to protect the homeland and foreign relations. With its $60 billion budget, of course. Quote, today in celebration and recognition of Intersex Awareness Day, we affirm the United States' commitment to promoting and protecting the human rights of intersex persons globally, the State Department wrote in a powerful show of America's strength on the world stage. The celebratory government announcement comes as doctors and the American Academy of Pediatrics face a lawsuit from a woman who detransitioned after being pumped full of testosterone during her teen years. She blames the defendants for prioritizing politics and ideology over children's safety, health, and well-being. The intended public outcome from the Department of State's emphasis on sexuality remains vague, but what is clear is the U.S. government's willingness to drive the cultural agenda across the globe, something the rest of the world is undoubtedly appreciative of. A focal initiative of the agency is to advance LGBT inclusion and gender equity around the world in coordination with the White House. While Americans have become accustomed to LGBT cultural views, gender-affirming messaging is still novel to many foreign nations such as Lithuania, Russia, and the United Arab Emirates. The UAE prohibits men from posing as women in order to enter women-only spaces, according to Human Rights Watch. And Russia and Lithuania do not criminalize same-sex acts or forms of gender expression, but they prohibit LGBT propaganda. Given the many other pressing global issues, Americans can see the importance the State Department places in making identity politics such an important topic of discussion. But the truth is, Americans don't see the significance of pandering to sexual identities. Only about 1% of Americans view LGBT rights as the most important problem facing our nation today, and that's according to a Gallup poll. We unite as Americans, not the continuously provoked division based on our personal and private differences. Well, after a weeks-long struggle, a three-weeks-long struggle to select the next Speaker of the House, House Republicans have finally selected Mike Johnson 
of Louisiana and an exciting piece of news for COS supporters. Johnson happens to be a COS supporter and champion himself. He has worked extensively in Louisiana to help pass the COS resolution there back in 2016 and has also examined Article 5 in a recent congressional subcommittee hearing. We'll talk about all of that on today's story. He has spoken critically about the federal government in the past, expressing interest, as I mentioned, and using Article 5 of the Constitution specifically as a check and balance in Washington, D.C. The job of the Speaker of the House is to serve the whole body, the congressman vowed from the Speaker's dais on Wednesday, shortly before being sworn in, but I made a commitment to my colleagues that this Speaker's office is going to be known for decentralizing power. It was a key commitment in a stirring speech in which he vowed to decentralize federal power, tackle the national debt, and end what he called political brinkmanship. After winning the coveted position with 220 votes to House Minority Leader Hakem Jeffries, 208, Johnson became the first Republican since former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's ouster earlier this month to earn his party's full support. In his acceptance speech, the former state lawmaker acknowledged openly that the American people have lost faith in Congress and that he hopes to rebuild that broken trust through serious reform to the federal government. Referencing the Declaration of Independence, Abraham Lincoln, and the Bible, Johnson drew heavily from the words and wisdom that have inspired past generations of Americans, positing his vision to, quote, preserve what Lincoln referred to as the last best hope of man on earth. We are the beacon of freedom, he said, and we must preserve this grand experiment in self-governance. We're only 247 years into this experiment. We don't know how long it will last, but we do know that the founders told us to take good care of it. In previous orations, Johnson has often warned that a federal government with too much power threatens the founders' original design for government of, by, and for the people. Inspired by Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution, he believes that the states possess the unique ability to restore power to the people, an issue he has frequently advocated for. Last month, for example, prior to Kevin McCarthy's removal, Johnson headed a congressional subcommittee in which he forced his fellow members to examine how an Article 5 convention might be used to reform an out-of-control administrative state. Here's a little bit of what he said in that subcommittee hearing. The Founders viewed the ability to amend the Constitution as one of its most important features, and it has been that. At the convention, Elbridge Gerry argued that, quote, the novelty and difficulty of the constitutional experiment requires periodical revision. George Mason similarly acknowledged that, quote, amendments will be necessary and it will be better to provide for them in, in an easy, regular, and constitutional way. Of course, we've used Article 5, that process, to amend the Constitution 27 times since 1787, most recently in 1992. The provisions of Article 5 create a very difficult process to change the Constitution, and of course that is by design. They didn't want it to be done arbitrarily. The two mechanisms to amend are very straightforward. An amendment may be proposed by a two-thirds vote of both houses of Congress and then be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures, or an amendment may be proposed by two-thirds of the states and a convention called for that purpose. That amendment must then be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures, or three-fourths of the conventions called in each state for ratification. To date, no such convention has ever been called, but efforts have been underway in recent years to do so. 
The witnesses before us today will speak about the process for proposing amendments and specific proposed amendments as well. We'll hear about a proposed amendment introduced by Representative Ralph Norman to impose term limits on members of Congress. I'll say parenthetically, many of us here agree with that idea, and I have uh, joined in legislation for years to urge that change. We'll also hear about the balanced budget amendment, which would impose a measure of fiscal discipline that Congress has lacked in recent decades. I certainly agree with that very sensible idea as well. In 2016, when Louisiana passed an application calling for an Article 5 convention to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, then-State Representative Johnson championed the proposal, speaking often in favor of it. According to Michael Ferris, he was instrumental in that process. But now, the same convictions that underlie the Speaker of the House's vocal support for using Article 5 to rein in the federal government were also clearly articulated in his acceptance speech. From railing against federal spending, record high inflation, an unsustainable national deficit, and government gamemanship, to calling for individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity, the new speaker has expressed an unconventional willingness to challenge the D.C. power structure. Nevertheless, as Johnson himself would probably admit, it remains improbable that Washington will ever give up its own power, no matter who's in charge, no matter what quality of leadership. Now more than ever, if we wish to preserve this grand experiment in self-government, as Johnson urged that we do, we must not look to Congress to save us, but employ the brilliant wisdom of our founders. State power ignited this week as 42 attorney generals united in suing Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, for its addictive algorithms. The significant legal showdown highlights the growing concern over the role of social media in our daily lives. A federal lawsuit has been brought by 33 states, while nine additional AGs have filed individual lawsuits in their own states. Their target? The social media platform's addictive algorithms, which many argue have led to detrimental impacts on children and teenagers. Meta's algorithms have come under fire for fostering addiction-like behaviors, drawing in users, and keeping them coming back for more. The federal lawsuit alleges that Meta was well aware of the negative impacts its configuration could have on young users. The collective lawsuit also alleges that Meta violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act by collecting personal data on users under 13 without parental consent. Data from the CDC shows that suicide deaths hit a record high in 2022 as Americans continue to suffer through a mental health epidemic. Additionally, a leaked impact report from Instagram shows that 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. The united front against Facebook not only reflects the increasing scrutiny of big tech's influence over public behavior, but also portrays the fierce power behind unified states. If the states are willing to unite on an issue like big tech, there's undoubtedly a path to unification for the purpose of addressing federal government overreach with Article 5. A troop of musicians, dressed in tricorn hats and other colonial-era attire, escorted a parade of Republican legislators and activists to a conventional hall in Colonial Williamsburg where they would embark on an immersive experience 
rewriting the U.S. Constitution, end quote. These words come from the Center for Media and Democracy, a George Soros-backed organization. The event in question was none other than the recent Article 5 simulated convention organized and hosted by Convention of States Foundation. Followers of the Convention of States movement have probably become accustomed to this narrative by now. The media often portrays the nationwide grassroots initiative to convene an Article 5 convention as a radical endeavor, not only to amend or rewrite the Constitution, but to dismantle it entirely. In this depiction of our movement, George Soros and his Open Society Foundations, much like, ironically, the John Birch Society and other supposedly right-wing anti-Article 5 groups, want to instill fear among the American people that such a convention could run away, resulting in a completely new constitution. However, to make this argument, and we've discussed this on the show before, they must selectively ignore several crucial facts, including, for example, that the Convention of States organization has implemented numerous safeguards to ensure that any amendments proposed during the convention will only serve to reinforce the original principles of our nation's founding document and not tarnish it in any way. They also ignore that while it only takes a simple majority to pass an amendment during the convention, any adopted proposal must then be ratified by three-fourths of the states before it takes effect. All things considered, the process is secure, straightforward, and firmly rooted in the Constitution. Yet, Soros's media group accuses Convention of States Foundation of being, quote, anti-democratic and trying to gut the ability of the federal government to protect the environment, to protect civil rights laws, and to protect voting rights. They paint a sensationalized image of radical extremists who recklessly upend centuries of constitutional order and stability. Remarkably, as I've already alluded to, the article fails to mention the requirement that 38 states must approve anything that comes out of convention. In other words, the bar is set quite high as a mere 13 state legislatures could prevent any haphazard or so-called anti-democratic proposal from progressing. Contrary to the portrayal offered by the Center for Media and Democracy, the process isn't dominated by radicals or narrow interest groups, but is overseen by the vast, vast majority of the American people who can put a stop to anything that they do not like. This raises a serious question. Why are George Soros-funded media groups so determined to radicalize the convention, even when it means disregarding clear, explicit evidence? The answer is simple. Establishment interests perceive the grassroots movement as a threat to their authority. Indeed, Convention of States poses a challenge to the ruling elite, and as the movement approaches the realization of its goal to call the first ever convention, those in power are understandably anxious. Unquestionably, anything that makes the ruling class this uneasy deserves to be celebrated by middle America as a significant victory. As George Soros intensifies his efforts to defame and discredit the grassroots, we invite like-minded patriots to stand with us in support of Convention of States. To join us in ruffling elitist feathers, sign the petition below and get involved today. 
And that's all your need to know news on the Liberty Update this week. Don't forget to head over to the website to read these stories and more. And also don't forget we're still doing the Power of 10 challenge all month long. So send the COS petition to everyone in your network to participate in this challenge. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast and we will see you next week.